I am thrilled this morning. We always look forward to being here with our family that meets here at the Lake Country Church. The members that make up this body, we enjoy being with them each time that we gather. And then on top of that this morning, our loved ones that have come and visit, that come and visit periodically, they're with us. We're certainly uh, uh, thrilled for that. It's a good day to be gathered together to worship God. We're glad that each one of you are here, and I hope that you'll meet with me in the third chapter of the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you'll open to that chapter, I hope that you have them. We'll be spending uh, our time this morning in the third chapter of the book of Galatians. When Paul took up pen to write unto these brethren, he wrote in verses 26 and 27 these words, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This morning we want to look at these two verses and we want to look at them from a threefold vantage point. We want to look at them, number one, in the context of their historical background. What is going on at the time? <coughs> then, number two, we want to consider these verses in the context of the book of Galatians, the context of this writing. And then finally, we want to look at it from a grammatical standpoint and do a grammatical analysis of this passage and see exactly what it is that the Apostle Paul is writing unto these brethren about and what it is that he wants them to understand. We'll begin this morning with the historical background of this text. We go to the book of Acts chapter 13. That's where it begins, the historical background of the churches in Galatia. For when we turn to Acts chapter 13, we read there of Paul and Barnabas in their first evangelistic tour. And as we read, we see that they begin in Antioch of Syria, that's north of Palestine, and they will go along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And then they will catch a boat and they'll sail over to the Isle of Cyprus. They'll travel across that isle from east to west. While they are, they'll be preaching the gospel. They'll be evangelizing, they'll be baptizing, they'll be establishing churches in that area. When they reach the west shore of the Isle of Cyprus, they will catch another boat and they'll sail up the coast to Asia Minor. They'll come to Perga in Pamphylia. Then they'll move north from there and they'll go to Antioch of Pisidia. From there they'll go east and as they travel east, they will establish churches in Iconium, in Lystra, and in Derby. When they finish that circuit, they will retrace their steps and they'll strengthen the churches. They'll, they'll ordain or appoint elders in those congregations. And it will be these congregations in Asia Minor that we see beginning right here in this context of Acts 13 that will make up the churches of Galatia, the ones to whom Paul is writing in this epistle. As we continue the historical background, we look in the book of Galatians, and we find that in this book there is evidence 
that things are not going well. That things are not going as the Apostle Paul would have them go. Notice with me, turn to Galatians chapter 1 and notice verses 6 and 7. He writes there, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul tells us in this passage that there are those that are teaching another gospel. Now, it's not an altogether different gospel, but it is a perversion of the gospel. As we continue on, notice verse 7 of chapter 5 in the book of Galatians. He said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? The obey the truth is in the present or the perfect tense in the Greek, which means, Who did hinder you that you did not keep on obeying the truth? They are erring away from the gospel that was preached when they were established as a congregation of the Lord's church. We remember in chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says there, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so there are issues in the churches of Galatia. They're not like the church in Philippians where the Apostle Paul would write And he would speak of their fellowship in the gospel. He would speak of their work together. He was out laboring. They were supporting him. They were united in that truth. That wasn't the case with these congregations that made up the churches in Galatia. They were removing themselves. They were not continuing to obey the gospel of Christ. As we continue to study the book of Galatians, we will see that there are other clues that will tell us that after Paul had left that area, that others had invaded these churches, that others had come in and they were poisoning the minds of our brethren that were in Galatia. They were standing up and they were speaking against the Apostle Paul and they were speaking against the pure gospel. The congregations in Galatia were in grave danger. Notice chapter 5 and verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. So there were problems there. And so Paul takes up pen and he's writing this epistle so that he can deal with the effects of these invaders, these that have come in, so that he can help restore them to the pristine gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's the historical background that we find our setting for this book. He is writing because there are great problems in these congregations. Now let's turn our attention to the context. And look at the context of our passage. When we look at the book of Galatians, Galatians can be divided up into three equal sections of two chapters each. The first two chapters in the book of Galatians is really the personal approach that Paul takes and he is defending his apostleship that I have the right to speak unto you and you of necessity should listen to my message. I am speaking by the authority of God. I'm not an apostle by my own hands. I did not hear other apostles teach these things and then dub myself an apostle and go out and teach what they were teaching. What I received, I received from Christ Himself. 
And so I have the authority to write unto you. That's the first two chapters. Chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal in nature. And it speaks of the problem that they were facing. What they were facing is, by these false teachers that came in, they were bringing in an an amalgamation. They were bringing in and trying to combine Christianity and Judaism together. And they were trying to create a new gospel. Not altogether different, but a perversion of the gospel. And what they were doing is, they were adding... Judaism into it. They would teach this. He that believeth and is baptized and is circumcised and keeps the law shall be saved. That's the quote-unquote gospel that these were preaching. And when you look at chapters 3 and 4, you're going to see that Paul is dealing with with those who are trying to create a Jewish gospel. And then finally, the last section, chapters 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul is going to deal with practical issues. And you'll remember, he deals with the works of the flesh, and he deals with the fruit of the Spirit, and he deals with bearing one another's burdens, and he deals with our doing good unto all men as we have opportunity, especially they of the household of faith. He deals with our enduring to the end, That's when we will reap. And so we find that context. And then we turn to the context of chapter 3 in the book of Galatians. And when we open chapter 3, we see that the Apostle Paul begins with good old father Abraham. And he introduces Abraham to us. And you'll look in verse 8 of chapter 3 and he will tell us that the Apostle Paul preached the gospel. Not rather that the Apostle Paul, but rather the gospel was preached to Abraham, chapter 3 and verse 8. And we know that it was in a limited sense, and we know that it was in the context of the seed of Abraham. You'll remember in chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 11. He says there, "...but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evidence, for the just shall live by faith." Now he's quoting the old law, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. In fact, as we look at verse 11. And so he's dealing with this issue that people are trying to bring in these elements of Judaism. And what does he say? The good news was preached to Abraham 400 years before the old law even came into existence. And that good news, that gospel that was preached to Abraham centered around the seed, singular, of Abraham. Notice as we continue on, look at verse 13 of chapter 3. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Notice how Paul is driving a wedge in this context at least between Judaism and Christianity. Between the old law and the new law and saying you cannot bind these together. You've got to understand that Jesus Christ became a curse on the tree to do away with the old law and to establish the new covenant. He's trying to let them know and understand that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He goes on in this context of chapter 3. And what does he do? He says in verse 16, and here's the punchline. He says, Now to Abraham and his seed, singular, 
where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. There's the thesis of the third chapter. This is what the third chapter revolves around. You see? He continues on from there. You'll remember in verse 19, what then did the law serve? Why did God give the law? And he said it was given for transgression. What? To show the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Letting them know that you need a Savior. And he said also the law was given to be a schoolmaster to introduce us to Christ. Because the law was unable to justify sinners. The law was based on the blood of bulls and goats. In Hebrews 10 and verse 4, forever taught that the blood of bulls and goats would not take away the sin of the world. And so the law would do the next best thing. Being unable to justify us by its sacrifices, he would tell the Jews, the law introduced us to Christ. The seed, the one that the promise was the one that was the promise that was made to Abraham back four hundred years before the old law even came into existence. And then he concludes As you see in verse 29, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So he begins with Abraham and he ends with Abraham in our context. And in between, we find our passage. Verses 26 and 27. That's the contextual setting for our passage in our study this morning. Now, let's turn to a grammatical analysis. When we look at these passages, let's just read verses 26 and 27 again. It says, Therefore ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, as we look at this passage, and we look at it from a grammatical standpoint, I want us to recognize that every word is supremely important as we go through this text. I want us to understand that every word adds to our understanding of this passage. And so we begin. Ye, the first word that we find in verse 26. Ye is a plural pronoun. Now, pronouns have an antecedent. And the pronoun stands in the place of a noun. And so we ask ourselves, ye, who is he talking about here? Well, Paul answers that for us in verse 2 of chapter 1. He's already told us who the ye are. He says, and to all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia. You remember who they were? Acts chapter 16, the church in Perga, in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derbe. These congregations made up the churches in Galatia, in that Galatian area. And those are the ye that he speaks of here in chapter 3 in verse 26. And so those... Christians who made up these congregations are the ones that he's talking about at this point. He says, Ye 
are. That's a present tense verb. Now I want us to keep this in mind because it's very important and we're going to bring it out again here in a moment as we continue our study. But when we talk about a present tense verb, we are talking about their present condition. The condition, the, the, the state that they stand in at this time. Now what is their present state? He tells us that their present state is, as we look in verse 26, that their present state is, you are children of God. That's their present state. That's what the R is referencing. And so you in Galatia, in these congregations, are at this time, this moment, children of God. That's what he's telling them. And then he goes on and says, All, ye all. Now that encompasses everyone. As we look at this, it shows that all were the same thing. That they weren't something different. That they weren't a bunch of different congregations out here doing different things. But every one of those, they were all the same thing. They had all obeyed the same process. They had all done the same thing and thus they were sharing the same benefits. They all stood in that present condition of being children of God. You see, you don't become a Christian one way and I become a Christian another way and somebody else become a Christian a third way. You're all are included in this. You go ask your friends today, those who claim to be Christians, those who claim to follow Christ, you ask them, how did you become a Christian? And just note the variety of answers that you will get. Some will say, well, I had an experience while I was driving down the highway. And then you ask somebody else and they'll say, well, I had a dream one night. And then you'll ask somebody else and they'll say, well, I had a, heard a, a still, quiet voice in the night. And then you'll ask somebody else and they'll say, an angel appeared unto me. And then you'll ask somebody else and they'll say, well, I prayed the prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer. What does that sound like? That sounds like denominationalism, doesn't it? Division. So many different things. So many different ways. And yet Paul said that you are all the same thing. Everyone was encompassed here. And they were all the same way, the same thing, the same way. Because Paul had come in and done what? Preached the gospel. And they had obeyed that gospel. All ought to be the same. And they were. They obeyed Jude 3 when Judas writing, and he's setting forth his thesis for his writing, his book, he said, I, I sat down and my first purpose was to write to you of the common salvation. You see how that fits. We're all the same thing, the same way. We're all children of God. Why? Because of the common salvation. The salvation that is given. We're all children of God because we all did the same thing. Paul came through. Paul preached. We heard, we obeyed, we became children of God, he says. And then the next phrase, children of God. Now, in the Greek language, literally it is sons of God. I believe the American Standard Version will reflect that translation. 
that we are all, that ye, Galatians, are, this present tense, sons of God. And that's the more accurate translation, and it's significant for this reason. Because it speaks of the relationship that a son shares with the Father. And it's speaking of their relationship that they share with God the Father. It's a relationship, the relationship that a son has to the Father. Now Jesus Christ, we know, is the Son of God. Very distinct. He is the Son of God in a way that you and I are not sons of God. It speaks in terms of His nature. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is the only begotten Son. Unique in nature. Unique in the position that He holds. He is the only begotten. Now when you go back to the Old Testament, a form of that word is used throughout. So and so begat so and so. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. And so forth. And so it's talking about that relationship of a father. You see? An actual father. Through birth. Through begetting. Begotten. So He is the Son of God. We do not share the nature of God the way that Christ shares the nature of God. You and I are sons of God through a process where He allowed us to be adopted into His family. To be adopted into a divine relationship with Him. Those in the Galatian churches had done that. And they stood in that present condition, in their present condition, in that relationship with God. Notice chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 of Galatians. He says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, the only begotten Son, the Son of God, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's God's family right there. You have God, you have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and then you have those who are adopted as sons of God. That's Christians, men and women, Christians, the ones who have that relationship now with the Father. John chapter 3, Jesus speaks of the new birth. That new birth, that is our adoption ceremony. That new birth process of being born of the water and the Spirit. That's how we are adopted into the family of God. Now, Paul goes on in verse 27, or verse 26, and you'll notice that he will now speak to us and express the means by which this occurs. He tells us in verse 26, he says, Therefore ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus. The American Standard says, through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have a copy of the American Standard, you will note that it's a little bit different than the King James. You may have another version that's a little bit different. Because in the American Standard, what he will say is that ye are now uh, sons of God, comma, 
through faith, comma, and then continues on. And the American Standard is trying to let us see that this phrase stands out. A lot of times people will read this, you see, we're sons of God through faith. And then from there they'll reason, all you have to do is believe. But the American Standard tells us that you're sons of God, comma, through faith. Now what's interesting is in both the King James and the American Standard, there's only two words here, through faith. However, in the Greek New Testament, there are three words there. Dia, teis, pisteos. There's the three words. Dia means by or through. Pisteos means faith. Teis means the. It's a definite article. So what this ought to read, according to the Greek language, is that we are sons of God, comma, through the faith, comma. Well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? Context has to help us. We have to go to the context and it will direct our understanding. You see, we talk about faith and we have faith in a subjective sense. What does that mean? Well, faith in a subjective sense is how we most commonly understand faith. Now, whenever we see faith, we usually think about what? Our belief in Christ, right? And our belief in God. That subjective sense. Our belief, our faith. Faith is also used in Scripture in the objective sense. And when it's talking about the objective sense, what it's talking about is a system of faith. A scheme of religion. It's a body of teaching. Notice in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 23, it says, But they had heard only that He which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith, tastes, Pistios, the faith which he wants destroyed. He's talking about Saul of Tarsus, who was converted, who became Paul the Apostle, right? And what did they hear? All that we hear is that he's now preaching the faith that he wants destroyed. Well, what was he standing against? The teaching of the church, the gospel. That's what he was opposing. What did he preach afterward? He preached the gospel. That's what he preached. And so we see that term used in this book in that way in reference to the body of teaching. And when we look at this context, remember Galatians chapter 3 is dealing with what? Old law, new law. That you're not justified by the old law, you're justified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we let our context help us out here. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, there were many of the priests that were obedient to the faith. Same phrase is used there. Jude verse 3, he said, I wanted to write concerning the common salvation, but I found it needful to write unto you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What's he talking about? He's talking about revelation. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ in that context. In 1 Timothy 5, in verse 8, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul is writing, he says, A man who will not provide for his own is worse than an infidel, and he has denied the faith. He has denied the gospel. He has denied God's teaching. God's teaching says to obey father and mother, honor father and mother. God's teaching says that we have a responsibility to our kinfolk to provide for them. And if we don't do that, if a New Testament Christian doesn't do that, he is denying the teaching of the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul means by that in 1 Timothy 5 in verse 8. You've denied the faith. 
Notice in Galatians 3 and verse 23. But before faith came, now again, they left it out. The taste is in the Greek. So listen to what he says. But before the faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. See, he uses it there. What's he saying in verse 23? Before the gospel came, we're kept under the law, shut up unto uh, the faith which should afterwards be revealed. In other words, you can't live under two covenants. The one's got to be done away. And that's what Paul's message is throughout Galatians chapter 3, isn't it? Isn't that the emphasis? And so we look at the context, and the context helps me. So what are you saying, Paul? When we put this all together and we look at it, Paul's saying, we are sons of God right now, in the present, at this moment, by means of obeying the gospel system, the faith system. The faith. That's what Paul's telling us. That's what he's saying in verse 26. Then he follows in Christ Jesus. Now, there is a sphere, a location that all of this is accomplished in. And here he tells us it is in Christ Jesus. Again, in in the Greek grammar, there's a form of expression known as the locative case. Locative, locative, location. That's what it speaks of. This is in the locative case. And so he's talking about a location. In Christ Jesus, there is a location where this transformation from non-sons of God takes place to where men become sons of God. That's what he's talking about. How's that? Through the faith, through the gospel system. And it's in Christ Jesus. Now, if I stopped right there at this verse, this is what I must conclude from this verse. If I want to be a son of God, I must access the faith system. And I will become a son of God in that sphere, in that location in that relationship that is called being in Christ. And really and truly, I don't know much more than that just from this verse. That's what I do get out of this verse, but I have to look further if I want to know any more about it. And so we go on further. And we continue on and we look at verse 27. He says in verse 27, For, for, The Greek word is gar, G-A-R. It's a conjunction in the New Testament without exception. Always in the New Testament when gar is used, it is used to explain the statement that was just made. It's giving explanation for what was just said. Okay, So he is going to explain with verse 27 what he said in verse 26. And so we've looked at verse 26. We know what he said. He said there that if we want to become sons of God, we have to access the faith system and we have to enter into that sphere, that location of in Christ Jesus. That's what he's just said. Now, for Gar, he's going to explain that. As many of you as have. I want to focus on 
as have. The American Standard Version says, as were. Okay? Now, before I go into this, this brings us back to verse 26, right? Remember I said, I want you to keep that in mind. Ye are present tense, sons of God. You are your present state. Okay? You are sons of God. Verse 26. Here, we have a different tense. It's past tense. For as many of you as have. For as many of you as were. Now this is important. And it's very significant. Because a lot of times how our denominational friends handle this passage is overlooking this point. You see, this passage is an obstacle to the doctrine of faith only. And those who would believe it, all you have to do is believe and you'll be saved. And those who would try to eliminate the necessity of baptism from the uh, salvation plan of God will come to this passage. And here's how they will reason in these lines. And I know this because I've talked to those who have handled this passage exactly this way. I know others have dealt with individuals who have dealt with this passage exactly this way. They will come in here and they'll say, looky here, verse 26, you're all the sons of God through faith. And for as many of you, you who? Sons of God. And then they'll say, so they were sons of God and then they were baptized. Verse 27 comes after verse 26, they will say. And so they are sons of God. You who? Sons of God. And they were sons of God before they were baptized. They'll say you received baptism because you're already a son of God. Because you're already saved. Have you ever heard that before? You ever heard anybody say that? And really and truly it could superficially sound sensible. But you've got to think it through. You've got to look at the language of the passage. And the language of this passage does not allow that conclusion because of the verbs. Notice what he says. You are now sons of God in your present condition because of what you were, what you did in the past. You see? Because you were. You are now sons of God because you were before you became sons of God. You see it? The language is clear. Before you became sons of God, now, what had they done? They were, past tense, baptized into Christ. They had been baptized into Christ, and because of that action, they now stand in the present condition of being sons of God. Now, what if you were not baptized into Christ? then you could not claim the present position of being a son of God. That's just simply the language of this passage. And language is clear. Now, he says, you were, you have been, King James, baptized. Baptize. The Greek word, baptizo. The Greek word translated means immersed submerged transliterated it is baptized baptizo baptized you see the relationship there 
It is a word that, that what happens is, instead of coming in and translating this passage, why would they be hesitant to translate baptizo to immerse? Because even in the time when this was translated, it was not a prevalent doctrine. The prevalent doctrine of faith only was there. And so what we'll do is we will anglicize this Greek word and make a new English word. And that's what we will use. And that word is baptism. Baptism. You go look in a dictionary and baptism is described as dipping, as sprinkling, as pouring. The dictionary, talking about Webster's Dictionary, talking about other dictionaries, are simply giving you the common use in the world today. Simply stated, had it been translated, it would have been, you are immersed. And so he says in verse 27, For as many of you as were immersed into Christ. What's the opposite of into? Out of. If you are out of Christ, how do you get into Christ? Paul says here, and in one other place, Romans chapter 6, 3, and 4, that you are baptized into Christ. That you have been immersed into Christ Jesus. For the remission of sins, Acts 2.38 says, to be saved, Mark 16.16 16 says. Why? Because we know salvation is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. Now that is the simplicity of the language. And then he concludes verse 27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. Now as we look at this context and as we look at this passage and as we look at it in the various, from the various angles that we have seen, we recognize that the seed is the Word of God. I want to be what they were in the first century. And if I want to be what they were, if I want to be able to say my present condition is I'm a son of God, then I must be able to say that in the past I was baptized into Christ. I've got to be able to say that. Because that's exactly what happened. I must access that faith system, the new covenant, and I must enter into that sphere, that location of being in Christ, so that I can have all spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus. And the way that I do that, it's a common salvation. Ye all, we all do it the same way. And the way that we do that is, we are immersed into Christ Jesus. We study further and we realize that there are prerequisites to that immersion. Going through the book of Acts, we know that we must believe that Christ is the Son of God. We must repent of our sins. We must confess His name. Then we are ready to be immersed for the remission of sins. We rise up to walk in newness of life when we are baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 3, and 4. We're going to extend the Lord's invitation. If you need to respond for any reason, if we can assist you in any way, please let it be known by coming while we stand and while we sing.